If I could draw your attention to the text now in Luke, we're working through the section of Scripture in chapter 11 that goes from verses 37 to 54. We started that last week, and we're calling the message, What is Wrong with Legalism? Part 2. So uh, we're in part two of that. And, uh, you know, it's interesting with legalism. Legalism meaning a way that we attempt to be right with God or approved by God through our own works and our own efforts, adhering to requirements that are man-made and imposed often it's interesting because a lot of times we think about a legalist or legalism in terms of a stiff-collared, robed, bearded, religious man. But these pharisaical attitudes are something that are very dangerous to all of us. And we might say that we're all prone to legalistic attitudes and that's why we need to watch them that's why Jesus was so intent on exposing legalistic pharisaic attitudes and dealing with them because these pharisaic legalistic attitudes cannot stand the truth that sets one free legalistic pharisaical attitudes are opposed to the gospel that Jesus came to preach and to perform as he died and rose again that all who would believe would have eternal life not all those who would follow the rules and regulations would have eternal life and so this is a warning against legalism I think it's wise just to approach these sections of scriptures just with the, the thinking that maybe there's some tendencies or maybe there's something within my heart or something that I'm doing that is legalistic and pharisaical in my actions. Legalism, of course, is a work of the flesh. That's why it's so ugly and so heinous. The Bible says that the works of our flesh bring about death. They're rotten and they're stinky. It's opposed to the work of the Spirit, which is God working in and through us. Legalism is what I do versus what Christ has done. Legalism focuses itself on external behaviors instead of internal transformation. You know, the surprising thing about legalism is usually the people that are viewed by others within the church as the most right-on people, the most holy and righteous and the ones that have it all together. They're often the ones viewed by others as being led by the Spirit, but those are the ones that are often more prone to legalism. The people pleasers, the rule followers, the teacher's pet types. It's easy to hide in rules and behaviors, and that often obscures an individual's actually dealing with the real problem of their heart. So behavior, moralism, rule following, being really good at things in the, in the church, people would say, well, that person is really good at doing these things. Seems like they can do that. Well, that behavior or that thought can often be the worst condition that a person can have because they fail to realize the depravity of their own heart and instead mistake the outward things for 
their own need for the inward things. A legalist is unwilling to die to themselves. They don't need to. They follow rules. They don't need to die to themselves. Legalists can be and usually, usually are defensive, not receiving any sort of rebuke or correction. They are often those who push back because of the rebelliousness of their heart and their identity as a do-gooder causes them to feel as if no one can tell them what they should do. They are often controlling and they often struggle with growing spiritually. They seem to just stay the same year after year after year. They lack consistency. The ability to preserve through difficult situations and times and they are often in and out, up and down. That is a sign that you could be legalistic in some areas. They are also self-condemning, self-loathing oftentimes. They have trouble in relationships. They lack joy. They lack peace, often defined by worry and anxiety. They are critical, often angry, short-tempered, frustrated. They are often disappointed in God. They are not free. A legalist is not free. And they lack the spirit, the spiritual things in their life. I can't think of a better way to understand legalism than to look at Luke chapter 18. I'll just read it for you for a sake, the sake of time. But Jesus, in this little parable paints the picture of a legalist for us. He says, and it says, as Jesus spoke this parable, some who trusted in themselves. So there you go. There's one description of a legalist. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And it says that they despised others. Other people made them sick because of other people's sins, because other people weren't like them. So they just despised other people. It says that the, there are two men and they went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector, a despised person in the culture. The Pharisee, he stood and prayed like this. God, thank you that I'm not like other men. In other words, I'm in a whole category myself. Everybody else is over here. I'm over here. Thank you that I'm not like all those other people that are so dirty unclean, despicable. Thank you, God, I'm so much better. The prayer goes on describing the evils of other people. They are extortioners, they're unjust, they're adulterers, and even this tax collector, look at him. And then get this. Not only do they put themselves in a whole separate category as better than everybody else. And then they point out the things that they do to make them better than everybody else. He's actually praying to God, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, on the other hand, he wouldn't so much as approach the temple because of the feeling and the awareness of his own sin. 
And so the tax collector prayed, it says, afar off from a distance. And it says that he would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but instead beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That was his whole prayer. His whole prayer was, God, I don't deserve anything. You don't have to do anything for me. I deserve judgment. I deserve your wrath. I deserve, because I'm a sinner, I am terrible. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, he went down to the house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone, here it is, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this is the difference, the picture that's painted by Jesus of the difference between a Pharisee and one who's genuinely understanding their true condition and their need for grace and their need for mercy. Jesus in his Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 speaks about the heart of one like this tax collector in our story. And they're described as being poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers. That, that is not what a legalist is. Because these attributes and these qualities, they come from the spiritual things of a person that's dependent upon God and relying on God. And so Jesus, and we looked at last week, he's confronting this Pharisee because the uh, Pharisee asked him over for dinner. And Jesus came to his house, sat down, and the Pharisee looked at him disgusted. Imagine that. Jesus had been doing miracles, been preaching good news, been healing, helping people. And he gets invited to dinner, and the Pharisee just could not believe it. Just disgusted. Looked at him and probably shook his head. It was because Jesus didn't ceremonially wash his hands. And mind you, that wasn't something from the law. It was something that grew out of the law. That was a tradition. So Jesus wasn't keeping the traditions correctly. And because of that, the most holy, righteous being that has ever existed was looked at and looked down upon as dirty because he didn't ceremonially wash his hands. This set the stage for the discussion about these woes, six woes that Jesus spoke about. Last week we talked about one that legalism is heartless in a sense to where there's no tenderness towards other people and yet there's this preciseness in keeping the law like tithing. They tithe to the herbal essence. In other words, they tithe their herbs and counted them exactly to the tenth. But yet they had no love or tenderness or justice or mercy for other people. The outside of the cup, Jesus said, was clean, but the inside was dirty. And this is what legalism does. Legalism is you're heartless towards other people. But here's the thing, you're okay being heartless towards other people because you're doing certain things which make you feel like you don't need to do those things. Well, I'm still keeping up with the one-year Bible. I, I sit in my same chair every Sunday. I don't miss a Sunday, even if I'm sick. I go, and so you, you feel like, well, I'm good because of those things, when in reality, you could be completely heartless and missing the most important thing. We looked at how the Pharisees or a Pharisaical attitude 
is also shameless. In a sense where they desire the best things, to sit in the best seats. They want to be seen by other people well. They want to be observed by other people as holy and mighty. And they uh, want their acts of righteousness to be done where there's a great applause from men. They're completely shameless. And then we saw how these pharisaical attitudes end up being very infectious. They're appealing to other people. When you have legalists within your church body, they will affect other people with their legalistic imposition of rules and convictions that they have and thrust their convictions on everyone else and create this legalistic sort of environment within the church. And that brings us up to what we're going to start with today in verse 46. A legalist is graceless. They're completely devoid of grace. In the book of Galatians, it says that when we count anything in addition to what Jesus has done on the cross for our sins, when we add anything or count anything else above that or in addition to what Jesus did on the cross, we completely nullify the work of Jesus on the cross. And that means that it's either all by grace or all by works. You cannot have a mixture. So watch this. In verse 46, Jesus gives us our fourth woe, which is, of course, a great warning by Jesus. He said, Woe to you, lawyers. These lawyers were men that were the experts in religious law. So they were the theologians of the day. They were those who studied and told the Pharisees who were the ones who lived out or attempted to live out the law. They're the ones that told the Pharisees what to do, and the Pharisees subsequently told everyone else to do. So he says, woe to you, which right away would be a a very strong statement, a shocking statement to the people in that culture because nobody told the Pharisees and the lawyers, whoa. The Pharisees and the lawyers told everybody, whoa. They were woefully led in the wrong direction and they were woefully leading others in the wrong direction. You might want to say the Lawyers were their own experts in woe, telling everybody else, whoa, 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 whoa. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Yeah, that's enough. (laughs) So Jesus turns the table and he says, woe to you. Here's why. You load men with burdens, hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. These lawyers, these Pharisees, these legalists, They were those who were the opposite of the attitude that Jesus said to bear one another's burdens. They were those who made other people, because of their finger-pointing woes, made other people feel heavy laden, feel worse, in their exposure to a a Pharisee, made them feel as if they can never measure up. They can never do all the things that were needed to be done. They just kept imposing things on people. This was something that the Apostle Paul addressed, addressed in the whole book of Galatians, 
to where these free, saved people who were enjoying their liberty in Christ, these legalists came and they said, that's great, you're saved by grace, but now you need to become a Jew also because God only accepts the Jews. That was, that was the whole point of contention in much of the early church. Does someone who's not a Jew and is saved by grace and filled with the Holy Spirit, do they then need to add stuff into that? Do they need to become circumcised? Do they need to follow the, the festivals and the feasts and the traditions that were laid out in the Old Testament? And so this, this can happen in our framework of, say, evangelical Christianity when people will impose things that they have convictions about and make that a law when it's not biblical. It's extra biblical or supra biblical. It's above and beyond and it's adding. And this is something that we will all encounter if we are involved with Christian people and the Christian church over a period of time. And so we have to be aware of this. These, uh, a new movement comes through. And if, if you're a Christian for an extended period of time, you're going to see movements come through. And all of a sudden, the new movement, if you're not doing what the new movement is doing, then you're missing the whole boat. I think I've seen about 20 of the new movements that don't exist anymore. Because there's no new fancy thing or big thing. If you're a believer, you have everything. So appropriate what you have. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So beware. Be free. And watch and be careful of anybody who would come to add a burden to you when you are already free. In Pilgrim's Progress, the cartoon version, Mr. Worldly Wiseman tempts Christian from the way. As Christian is following the way to the celestial city, Worldly Wiseman says, Hey, I got a shortcut for you. I got an easier way, and it's over here. It's in the city of morality, on the hill of legality. And so he strays away from the path that God was leading him on, thinking that there's something else, there's something more, there's something different. And he gets to this hill, and it's dark and gloomy, and it's this big hill filled with tombstones. And on the tombstones are all these different rules. And Mr. Legality at the top, He's there as an imposing figure with a, like a gavel in his hand like a judge and he's pounding it on rock. And he's telling Christian, you have to ascend up this hill of legality. And as he tries to ascend, Mr. Legality at the top keeps giving him more rules and more rules to the point where it's impossible to get to the top and he's still left with this huge, huge burden on his back. Of course, he has to be saved from the way and brought back to the way that he was being led. But I think the point is so important. If we are feeling burdened spiritually and religiously, it's probably because we are carrying the load. It's probably because in some way, shape, or form, 
we feel the need to do, to please God, to perform. And one of the main characteristics of a graceless Christianity is self-condemnation. Always feeling like, well, I don't know if I'm saved because yesterday I had a bad thought or I did a bad thing or, you know, that. And so we're constantly going through this condemnation. And the Bible says that if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Now I ask you, how could that possibly be for someone to not have any condemnation on themselves? It can't be because of anything that we do. It has to be because of what Christ has done because we will always be able to condemn ourselves because we are always going to be doing things that aren't right. And this is what a graceless Christianity does. But if you are in Christ, the Bible actually says that we are holy and blameless before God. And you know why? Because we're in Christ. And that is the, the difference. So if you struggle with condemning yourself constantly, going back and forth with I, I, God hates me and God's angry at me and I don't know if I'm saved and that sort of attitude, remember that you're carrying your own burden. That you're graceless. And the Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith, not of your works, lest anyone boast. Because the other side of that condemnation, when grace is not involved, the other side of that is competition. So when, when we're doing well, we can be competitive. And we start to evaluate ourselves in regards to how other people are doing. And we may be motivated in our Christian life by outperforming the person sitting next to you or the person sitting behind you. And you may say, that sounds silly, but um, it's not silly. And if you're in my boots this morning, you would see that it is a very prevalent thing. There is competitiveness, which leads oftentimes to jealousy. In Matthew 27, 13, if I could read my writing correctly, somewhere around there, um, Jesus was killed because of the envy of the very people we were talking about. So they envied, they were motivated by envy and by jealousy. This is a graceless Christianity that pits people against one another, whereas a grace-filled Christianity is one where we are all in the same playing field. It doesn't matter how much you've, quote-unquote, achieved or accomplished or done for God. We are all sinners saved by grace. Maybe you're a worse sinner than someone else, or vice versa, but in God's eyes, we are all sinners in need of salvation by grace. And so what happens with grace is that we're all brought together in unity in one because it is Christ and His forgiveness of our sins that made us one. So there's, no, there's not a Jew nor Greek, which in Jesus' time and thereafter, that was such a huge thing. It's hard for us to really get a grip on how huge they hated each other. And that hatred then became sort of difficult and touchy when they realized that Christ died for everybody. And now a Jew and a Gentile, now we're all one. So there would be neither Greek nor Jew, and a, a Jew may feel like, well, don't I get some special status or something? There's neither Jew nor Greek, nor male nor female. Now, if you're a female at that time, that you're thinking that's really great. 
nor male nor female, that we're all one in Christ. There's no slave or slave owner. We're all one in Christ. This is the amazing thing about Christianity. It's the unity. There's no hierarchy of better, okay, terrible. We are all bought with the price and saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are all the same, and so we're all one. There's no competition. And so when God blesses one other person, we all rejoice. Why? Because he's blessing all of us. When another goes through a hard time and they're mourning, what do we do? We're all mourning. We're all in this together. This is the amazing thing about the gospel. Ephesians 2.14, listen to this. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made both, both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Having a brotherhood in this, uh, or we can't read my writing again. <laughs> Having something in his flesh. <laughs> I'm sure it's good. <laughs> Liz, you know. I used to be a chiropractor, and Liz used to work with me, and there's a real thing about doctors writing. <laughs> but here, here's the, the big part of this. He tore down the middle wall of separation so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And this is the beauty and the glory of the gospel. And that's what I love about the body of Christ. The body of Christ, we may come from different backgrounds, different geographical locations, so social economic backgrounds, uh, ethnic backgrounds, whatever it may be. But as believers, we're all one in Christ. And you see that in the body of Christ. All different colors, all different shades, all different backgrounds, and, and all of that. And what I love, in the book of Revelation, you see those praising the Lord from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That is an amazing thing. And it can open, only happen through grace and what Christ has done that has brought us all in Christ. So that's the first thing. Legalism is graceless. The second thing we see this morning is legalism is lifeless. There's no life in it. There's no spiritual life. It's just dead, dead works, dead religion. Look what Jesus says. Woe to you, verse 40, 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers killed them. So the prophets of the Old Testament, these were figures that were revered by the, the Jews in Jesus' day. They were revered by them. And they would make sure their tombs are looking good and elaborate and honoring to the prophet. Jesus points out, though, that these tombs, your, the, your fathers killed the prophets because the prophets brought the truth, and the word of God. So in verse 48, it says, In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers. For they indeed killed them, and you built their tombs. In other words, he's saying, you're hypocritical. And that's what legalism does. It makes one hypocritical. Because you're honoring and revenerating the prophets of old while right in the moment of Jesus' time 
all those prophets who spoke of the one who was going to come was right in front of them and they're wanting to kill him. That's what legalism does. Legalism is lifeless and holding on to traditions so much that it strangles the spiritual life out of an individual. In order to maintain legalistic rituals and rites, you have to strangle the life out of the spirit. So he says in verse 49, Therefore, the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, all the way from the blood of Abel, the first person killed in the Bible by his brother Cain. Because Abel brought an offering by faith, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4 tells us, he brought an offering by faith, and Cain brought an offering of works. And Cain was mad at Abel because he had favor from God, and he killed Abel. And then he says the blood of Zechariah, which in a Hebrew Bible, Second Chronicles is the last book, and Zechariah would be the last prophet in the last book. It says, who perished between the altar and the temple. And he says, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. He's saying, wake up. There's an opportunity now. Jesus is saying this to them, that I am here. I am the one that the prophets talked about. I am the one that gives eternal life. Now is the time. Recognize, realize, understand and come to me by faith, and don't let your works obscure what you're doing. Your works are lifeless. And your lifeless works are killing you, and it kills others. Dead religion, it kills. It makes quitters out of us all. You know why? There's no power. There's no power. We can't do anything but by the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. That is the life of the believer. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's easy for us to fall into these traps of of serving or doing whatever we do and doing it in our flesh. And we can be sure we're going to be quitters because we don't have the power to do the things of God. And so we might have a tendency to revert back into legalism because we can do that, but we can't do the Christian life and walk the Christian walk without the power of God working in us. So it makes quitters of us. There's no spirit. There's no love. There's no joy in our service to the Lord or in our life in the Lord. This lifeless, dead religion is what Jesus came to abolish. And as he met one who was in dead, lifeless religion of her own in John chapter 4 the woman at the well Jesus said to her whoever drinks of this water will thirst again what water works religion do-gooding morality whatever it may be self-righteousness it's not going to satisfy but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but that water that I give, it will become in him a fountain of water springing to everlasting life. This is where it's at. Life in the Spirit. Life more abundantly, as Jesus said, the 
thief comes to steal, rob, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and that more abundantly. In church, we need this. I'm telling you. We as a church, we need to come back to the empowering of the Holy Spirit in our life. This is the refreshment. This is the energy. This is the joy to do the things that God has called us to do with such great love and excitement and anticipation. And I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for the Spirit, there's no way I would be doing this. No way. But for the grace of God and the enjoyment of the Spirit, everything is a labor of love because it is the experience of God working in us and through us. And so legalism kills life in the Spirit. The last thing. Legalism, this is, seems very strange, it's scriptureless. And why is that strange? Well, we looked at the lawyers or experts in the scriptures. Did you know you and you and you and me, we can be experts in the scriptures and be legalists because the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but God gives grace to the humble. So watch this. He says, woe to you lawyers. This is the last woe. For you have taken away the key of knowledge. That's the, that's the important phrase, the key of knowledge. What were they doing? They had gone from Scripture to develop religious traditions that were more important than the Word of God. And so what does that do? Imagine having the Word right in front of you. You can touch, hear, feel. The Word of God, Jesus Christ. Doesn't John 1 say the Word of God? He is the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He's the Word of God. The Word of God, the way, the truth, and life was literally right in front of them. And they did not recognize Him. How could that be? Did they not know the Scriptures? Here's the problem. Here's what we all need to watch out for. We can know the scriptures in our head. But do we know the scriptures in our heart to where we have accepted God's word and allowed it to transform us? I see this all the time. I was a youth pastor a while back, and I knew kids in eighth grade that would, could memorize three or four chapters of the Bible, and yet if you talk to them now, they don't want to have anything to do with God. What is that? Here, here's, here's, let me read through this, and then I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that. So they took away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourself, so you didn't come into the key of knowledge, Yourself, and then those who are entering in, you hindered them. Those who wanted to know and wanted to understand. And in verse 53, he says, And as he said these things, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently. So, what was that? Their pride did not allow them to receive the truth. So instead of receiving the truth, which they could have and should have then, they pushed back. Why did they do that? Self-preservation. If what Jesus was saying was true, they would have to lose their life to him. Self-preservation would mean we can't have Jesus saying these things and teaching these things, so we need to get rid of him. This is what a legalist does. You can have a religious shell on the outside. And in reality, you don't have anything to do with God. 
because you have your religious shell, your religious framework. So they say they went to cross-examine him about many things. It says in verse 54, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. So their response, because of their legalistic heart, their lack of humility and surrendering to the truth, actually caused them to be fueled in their anger and their hatred for the true things of God. Do you know religious people are angry and fueled in murderous ambitions and thoughts when they're confronted with the truth of God's word. And you know what? Here we see that they that the Pharisees hindered people who wanted to know the truth. And isn't it interesting that more churches than not today will not have the Bible taught systematically and regularly instead would prefer to entertain and keep people just coming week in and week out with ever out ever confronting them with their own need for salvation and then allowing the holy spirit to convict them of their sins this is what the word of god is this is why the word of god is so powerful And this is why we live in a time where if many churches were teaching through the Word of God, they would not be able to do what they're doing. You have to take out chapters, take out books. You have to take out prophecy because you can't, many churches would not be able to continue what they do if the word of God was taught. And so if I were to say anything in our day and age, the most important thing is find a church that teaches the word of God. Number one. Don't worry about the kids group. If your kids are in a kids group and it's fantastic, but they're not being taught the word of God, it's not fantastic. I don't care how great their worship band is. It'd be hard to beat ours, but (laughs) I don't care how big the building is. And I'm not even talking about our church. It It doesn't matter if it's our church. Just go to a church that's teaching the Word of God and teaching it humbly, not legalistically, teaching it in a way where the Holy Spirit is looked upon as the one, the agent that's going to bring the truth to bear in a person's heart. No lip service, no gimmicks, just the Word of God. Because I believe the Word of God is the agent of salvation and sanctification and life as the Holy Spirit brings the Word to bear on our hearts. And so, hopefully, that helps us understand what a legalist is and maybe tendencies in our own heart that we need to watch out for and pray as a church. Let's all pray that the Spirit would come upon us and that the Spirit and the Word would be working together in us and through us. And when we have that, You don't want anything else. When you have that, you don't want gimmicks and schemes and you don't even want to be entertained. Although I know a lot of you laughed when I couldn't read my own writing, but (laughs) that was not on purpose. And you were laughing at me, which was very judgmental of you, by the way. (laughs) So just leaving that there. But seriously, the Lord is so good. 
His joy is unspeakable. His peace is beyond all understanding. We shouldn't want anything else. If you have that, you have everything. His grace is sufficient for us. So we're going to take communion this morning. We have a few minutes left. And so uh, will you join me in prayer? And so Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these dear saints here this morning who have come to hear your word and come to learn of you, come to grow in you. We all are at different places in our walks, Lord. And I thank you that regardless of where we are, that we have been knit together in love by you. And Lord, this morning I first want to pray for anybody who is here who is not truly saved. Maybe there's someone here who has been trusting in a work or religion or a past profession, a past religious experience, whatever it may be, but maybe, maybe you weren't truly saved and maybe you're not even sure. And so today I want to encourage you just to make it clear, make it sure cry out to God as we saw that tax collector and say, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I give my life to you, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to walk with you. Make sure. And I want to just pray also for anybody who is here who's gotten into the doldrums, into condemnation into complacency lukewarm if you feel like you're just going through the motions today is a day a great day to ask for a fresh filling of the holy spirit in your life and that as the holy spirit fills your heart and your mind that you would keep your eyes on him and not on yourself You'd behold the beauty of the Lord and you'd look to follow him by faith and what he's called you to do and the direction he's leading you in. Just take a moment just to pray to God right now. Just take a moment, just you by yourself. Whatever it may be, just say, Lord, save me or Lord, sanctify me. Thank you, Lord. Just continue praying. We're going to have the ushers come forward. Uh, This is your time to spend with the Lord. Stay focused on Him in prayer. Speak to Him. He's not an impersonal force. He's personal. He loves you. He's waiting to spend time with you, to hear from you, to speak to you. And so the ushers will be passing out the communion elements. And the Bible says that communion is for those who are truly saved. So I just want you to know if you're not saved and you're not planning on being saved, then just let the communion elements pass by. But if you're not saved, get saved now and then take communion. Hold on to the communion and we'll take it all together, okay?
we hold these elements, they are a reminder for us of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Finished. Finished work. Finished work. It is finished. If you're not smiling right now, there's something wrong. (laughs) The finished work of Jesus Christ. We've been given the seal of the Holy Spirit, the down payment or guarantee of our future arrival into heaven. And so all that's left because it is finished and Jesus did do all the work. All that's left is to fellowship with the God who saved us. When Jesus died, the veil in the temple was uh, torn from top to bottom, separating God from man so that through Christ there's no more separation. This is fellowship, enjoyment, pleasure in Christ the goodness of God. Enjoy Him. Because as this bread represents, He gave His body. His whole body, leaving nothing out. And so, let's all take of the bread together. It's amazing that Jesus took on a human body just blows me away. But he came to die in our place. Not only did he give his body, but as the book of Leviticus tells us, that life is in the blood. And so for a proper atonement to occur, blood had to be spilt. Not any blood for us. Only blood that has not been tainted with sin. So that His blood would wash away all of our sins. It is by His blood that we are forgiven. And so today we remember the blood of Jesus that washes away all our sin. Let's partake of the cup together. All right, amen. Let's all stand. We're going to worship the Lord before we go. If anybody would like prayer this morning, as we sing this last song, just filter up front and our prayer team will be waiting to pray with you guys. God bless you. Jesus loves you.